think once I let go of what I considered like mom guilt of, hey, I'm trying to pursue these big dreams and goals, but I also have my two children at home. I'm going to miss some things in their life. But hopefully when they grow up, they look back and say, wow, like my mom was really setting an example of go after your passions, pursue your dreams because they realize like that fills me with so much purpose. And I can only hope that my boys find something in their life that they're like truly passionate about pursuing. everyone, Emily Abadi back in your feed today with another day of our Motherhood in Focus series. This week on the show, leading up to Mother's Day, I am chatting with six extraordinary women, some moms, some not, but each with a story to tell forever shaped by the women that came before them. Today, I'm bringing you my conversation with Steph Bruce. She is a professional runner for Hoka's NAZ Elite. She's also a mother to two little boys and co-founder of Picky Bars, who happens to be sponsoring this week of content. In addition to that, as if it wasn't enough, she also runs a coaching business alongside her husband called Running with the Bruces, where they live in Flagstaff, Arizona. I was amped to talk with Steph today because she just keeps it real. Whether we were chatting about motherhood or running or injury or her values, like she has a beautiful authenticity that I truly appreciate. Steph shares in today's episode what it was like giving birth to her two boys 15 months apart, not on purpose, and how she felt some shame after unexpectedly getting pregnant with her second, all the while hoping to make an Olympic team. We chat about the 10-year period in which she's been aiming at that dream and how she stays motivated to go after her goals when things aren't going as she'd hoped. We also get amped about all of the great training that she's been doing lately and how she stayed positive despite facing an injury late last year that had her at times feeling discouraged. Grateful to Steph for her time today. I loved this conversation and I know that there are so many wonderful takeaways for all of you. Also, I know you always listen until the end, but definitely make sure you do this time because the story of her son at the baseball game and the kindness that he exhibited, I literally had goosebumps. It was the sweetest, most beautiful thing. Make sure you're keeping up with Hurdle over on Instagram. It's at Hurdle Podcast. And click on in to join us over in the Secret Hurdlers Facebook group. A link to do that is in the show notes. And if you're listening and you aspire to be a marathoner just like Steph, I've got you covered with the upcoming So You Want to Run a Marathon Hurdle session there. I'm going to be joined by the ladies of Brave Body Project, Lindsay Clayton and Amber Reese. And we are going to give you all of the intel you need to slay your first ever 13.1 or 26.2 mile race. For more details and everything that you can expect in that seminar, head on over to the show notes. I'm really appreciative for all of your tags over on social this week. I have loved recording these episodes and it seems that y'all are loving them as well. So thanks so, so much. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Stephanie Bruce. She is a professional runner. She's also the founder of Picky Bars. Steph, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. I was just complimenting Steph. We're on video here. Uh, some of you might be seeing some of that, but I am obsessing over her beautiful vaulted ceilings in her living room. <laughs> <laughs> We're very fortunate. We feel like we live in like a cabin in the woods in Flagstaff. In Flagstaff. And what's the weather like in Flagstaff right now? It's beautiful. Um, This is like our transition to spring. And so it's like low 40s in the morning. So still like that cool, crisp where like a cup of hot coffee and sitting by the fire is still beautiful. And then by the afternoon, it's like in the high 60s and 70. And for altitude, um, 70 can feel like really warm. Oh man, 70. We're we're cusping that here now. And you live in Flagstaff with your husband as well as your two boys, Riley and Hudson. And how long have you been in Flagstaff? We've been here about a decade. Yeah, 10 years, right? right uh, this April, actually. Oh my goodness. And how old are your boys? They are five and six. So Hudson's five. Um, he'll be six in September. And then Riley is six and he'll turn seven in June. And not all that long ago. I mean, they're back in school now. Is that right? They are. They just went back about a month ago. <laughs> how is how? Tell me, let's recap a little bit on how handling the both of them at home over the last, well, I'd say 13, 14 months. How was that for you? Sure. I mean, I think like the rest of the world, it was just like a very unknown time um, for us. And, you know, at first, like everyone, you know, when they were at home those first couple of weeks back in March of 2020, it was like, we got this. Let's do like kid yoga. Let's do PE exercises. Like everyone was gung ho and we were like, we can do it all. And then I think like five weeks later, everyone's like, okay, we all can't do this. Like there's no way our kids can be home. There's no way we can work full time. There's no way marriages are going to stay together. (laughs) It was was just like, it was chaos. Um, I love the, I love the reference to kid yoga and that it's like, it goes from kid yoga to like screen time is a non-issue. Sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I I did a little research like over the last year on, you know, the, the screen time that the kids were being forced. I say forced because when schools shut down and then iPads became available and that's how they were learning, you know, give it up to teachers and administrators. That's what made sense. But personally, like to have a five and six year old on an iPad all day was so unsustainable for our family. And I saw that in like behavioral patterns, like my oldest son, Riley, had some days where he was like, destructive in his room, he was drawing on like our desk, and he just kind of lost his mind. And I'm like, I bet he's frustrated because he's on a screen. He can't see his teacher and his his, um, you know, classmates, but he can't express it. And so like my heart really hurt for our children and for what they were going through. But at the same time, it was no one's fault. You know, you, you couldn't, what else were the teachers going to do? They, everyone was trying to learn like a whole new teaching system. I'm sure the teachers who were in their forties, fifties, and sixties had no idea how to teach online. Um, so I feel like we were all just like adapting and pivoting. And that's what kind of that this year felt like. It was like, okay, like let's get presented with the challenges and how are we going to make it work, adapt and then pivot. Um, And I think fortunately for what I do, being a professional runner and a business owner and, 
Ben and I are essentially stay-at-home parents on top of like what we do, we had the fortune of being able to not be affected too much by the pandemic. Um, we had childcare help, you know, we had the financial resources to do it. Um, but it also, so it, it gave you a deeper perspective on how the rest of the country and the rest of the world, like we're in really a bad place. Um, and it kind of opens your eyes to see that other people don't always experience the things that you do. So learned a lot of empathy and uh, compassion for people, I think, during the pandemic. And you mentioned uh, being really grateful that your training hadn't been super impacted. Talk to me about your training and how running has been for you over the last 13, 14 months. Sure. So like I said, you, you know, when our races obviously got shut down. The last race I ran was the Olympic marathon trials. Um, and that went off. Somehow I look back and we're like, how did we get away with that? But it was February 29th. Um, but that was the last competition. And then about two weeks later is essentially when everything shut down. And after that, it was more, okay, there are no races on the calendar, but like we still are able to go outside, train. Um, our team shut down like practice with one another just when we were so uncertain if we should be practicing with each other. Um, so we were all on our own for about six or seven weeks. Um, but the beauty of what we do is I could still run out my door and there was no danger and no threat. And we had open roads everywhere. So it wasn't crowded here. So in a sense, I was able to put in like some really hard training weeks um, last April, May, June. And then we found out the Olympics were canceled. So the Olympic trials were canceled. So then everything just became like a postponement. Um, and so at that time, besides running being my job, it was kind of also like, this is what fills me with purpose. And in a time where everything is so unknown and you feel really like vulnerable because you don't have control over a lot. Like I still had control over the effort that I was putting in my training. Um, so yeah, I trained really hard and I got a lot of benefit out of um, the few months blocks that we put in. We were kind of pretending that the Olympic trials were happening. So we almost <laughs> up for that in a way. So then we would know what to do a year later when hopefully the trials and Olympics were happening, which brings us to now. Um, yeah. And then I think what I tried to do is like using my platform, being in the running community to help other people that might've felt lost or might've felt hopeless or despair through the pandemic um, and just use what skills I could to connect via social media, via the internet. Um, yeah. Just to keep people going um, that m maybe had strayed off the path or, or needed some extra motivation. There are so many things I love about the bio that's on your website. And it's funny as I hear myself say these words, because sometimes someone goes to reference like what's on my website. And I have a moment where I'm like, when was the last time I touched that? Like, do I like what's on my website? But I'm going to compliment you <laughs> and tell you that one of the things that I love, you write that for you, it's about sharing the journey from start to finish with all the messy in between. And I think that this year, it's it's been a series of all of that for so many. And it's so great to hear for you that running was going so well. But for some, like, being injured or just dealing with the stress of the year and like that not playing out how they wished in in their athletics. Like I'm sure you interacted with so many individuals that just felt just like that, like just a complete mess. Yeah. I mean, I would say the majority of people were suffering from that and they couldn't go and see therapists. They couldn't get treatment. Um, and I tried to remind my like remind 
people that were like, how do you stay motivated? And I was like, remember, like I get paid to do this for a living. So like I have the privilege of all these things, like being at my fingertips. Um, I could see my therapist or we, we had ways to like get into a gym that had like one, one person at a time, you know, like we had all these opportunities and I know that the majority of people didn't. So I kind of tried to remind people, like, give yourself a break and realize you're probably doing more than you think and you're doing better than you think. And then, you know, same thing for like parents who are at home trying to like balance raising their kids, be a teacher, be a mom, be a dad. Um, you know, you saw what it did to mothers, especially like so many mothers just like left their jobs because they had to, you know, be at home or single parents who were trying to do it all. Um, so I think I played a really small part in what I could do, you know, for the betterment of people around me. But that's kind of been my motto in life. It's like, it's not worth pursuing all these different dreams and goals and visions unless you have people that you either can share the success with or that you can bring with you along the way. Um, and I think that that's what keeps me motivated to keep working hard and keep striving um, to like be the very best version of myself. Something else that you mention in your bio would be that you had your two toddler boys born 15 months apart, and this part is the part, not on purpose. So talk me through a little bit about the point in your life where you got pregnant with your first son and where you were in your career at that point as well. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, for any professional athlete, there is a little bit of luck and a little bit of timing and, and planning that we do. So for the most part, we look at Olympic cycles, which are every four years. And honestly, that's what the media, that's what the fans, that's what the public is so enamored with or obsessed with, like, oh, the Olympics every four years. Um, but they forget, like for us, there's a there's many things along the way and many races, many accomplishments, um, but just the Olympics become like highlighted. And so there's a, a microscope almost like more on that every four years. So around 2012, you know, we started to look ahead and be like, okay, I think 2016 like could really be my shot to make the Olympic team in the marathon. Um, but my husband and I had been together for seven to eight years and we were like, I really want to start a family. I don't want to have to choose between. I think you can do both. Um, and you're seeing now uh, women like Alicia Montano, who uh, founded an organization called And Mother, is showing that you don't have to choose between being a champion and a mother. You can do both. So so back when I was making that choice, um, I just said, hey, let's see if we could have our first child in 2014. And then I would basically be ready two years later to give the trials a go. Um, and so everything worked out pretty great. We got pregnant <laughs> right away. And um, my son Riley was born June 2014. And so I was like, awesome. I have about 18, 19 months before the Olympic trials and the marathon. And then I was breastfeeding and kind of getting back into tra training very slowly because I had a pretty uh, hard childbirth with him and delivery. And around six months postpartum, I remember like training kind of like took a turn for the worse and I was in a slump and I'm like, I just don't feel right. Uh, like maybe I'm anemic. Uh, maybe this isn't as easy as I thought. Um, and then we got a little surprise and found out I was pregnant with my second son, Hudson. Um, and I kind of use that quote, life happens when you're busy making other plans because I had envisioned like getting back for the 2016 Olympic trials and being on that start line. 
And then now I was six months postpartum pregnant again, and I was going to have another child five months before the Olympic trials. Um, but I stubbornly believe like I could do it. I'm like, I know I'm going to have two babies. I know I'm going to be up against it and maybe the odds are stacked against me, but I think I can do it. And then it took about all the way to a month before the trials where I was on a run and I was still having a little pelvic pain postpartum. And I just said, Stephanie, like this ain't it. Uh, You're jeopardizing the future of your career because you're so attached to this dream and goal that you thought was supposed to be the plan. But I don't think you're supposed to be on that start line. Um, Because at that point in my career, I I wasn't interested in just showing up like I wanted to make the team. Um, But I knew all the work other women had been putting in. And I was like, I'm breastfeeding. I have a five-month-old and a 20-month-old um, child. So I don't think it's in the cards for me. But it was a blessing in disguise because now I have a five- and six-year-old who are best friends. And you could say I'm in the prime of my career. The tenacity and like the bravery in that story are both so beautiful. And it would be... Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about that mental battle that you had to fight coming to terms with that with yourself. How did you get through that? What were the conversations like? How did you shift the inner dialogue? Because I'm sure that at points it was pretty negative. To be honest, I I don't talk about it very much, but um, I do have a lot of of shame when I think back to when I got pregnant with Hudson um, because my initial reaction was not excitement. And it's very shameful to admit as a woman that like, that my first reaction was like, I can't do this. I can't have another child. Like I have a six month old and I'm in the trenches and my body is so wrecked. Um, and yeah, it's very hard to admit that because once I like got moved past that and realized I can handle it. And like, this is supposed to be like in the cards or in the plans for me. Um, you know, obviously Hudson's born and I'm like, I can't imagine my life ever (laughs) existing without him. Um, but like I said, there's shame a little bit in that initial, like, guilt and reaction of what I had. So I think when I got to the point of um, letting go of that initial dream, I just realized dreams look differently, look different, and they have a different timeline than sometimes you think. But that doesn't mean the dreams aren't valid, or it doesn't mean that the dreams can't happen. They just might like appear or show up differently in your timeline. So I, I really just had to like look within myself look within myself and, and realize like, even though I was attached to this one idea, um, you know, my life was meant to take another trajectory, I guess. Thank you for sharing that. I also know that you certainly struggled post baby. I mean, two babies back to back. What a time for you. What a time for your body. I mean, mentally and physically, and you shared pretty openly about that on social media. So talk to us about, first of all, like the recovery from Hudson. And then second of all, when you got to a place where you were like, let's talk about this in a public way. Yeah, I think, um, I don't even know if it was the recovery from Hudson, but it was almost, I was still recovering from Riley. Riley was, um, nine pounds 
and he his head was in the 90th percentile um, and I had a natural birth with him <laughs> but uh, the problem is he was faced the wrong way so he was sort of stuck in the birth canal but he was not under any distress like I think of him now. He was like, yeah, I'm just hanging out. Like there's no rush. Um, but, but it was like extremely painful for me. And it ended up putting me in a position where I was pushing. I was in the pushing phase for about five hours, uh, which is pretty abnormal for delivery. But at that point, like I didn't really have any options. I was past the point of being able to, you know, have any drugs and the C-section like wasn't necessary because he was doing fine. So I think because that delivery was so traumatic on me, it was almost like once I got pregnant with Hudson, I like forgot everything I had just gone through and I wasn't able to repair anything or take the time. And so then my body was like, okay, seal back up. Like, let's get ready for another baby. Um, and then when Hudson's delivery was really great. But then once like a few weeks after, it was almost like the can of worms was open to be like, oh, well, you're not getting away with like what happened with Riley. Um so I think I had, I've experienced like a lot of incontinence. I had prolapse. Um, and then I started to see like the separation of my abs, which I began to understand as diastasis recti. And I was putting the connection between incontinence, my ab separation, pelvic pain, back pain. And I was like, okay, this is all connected, but like who's helping me? Um, you know, and your gynecologist, bless them. They see you after seven weeks and they're like, yep, everything looks great. Like send you on your way. But there's, there's just this huge hole between giving birth, senior gynecologist, and then the rest of your life. So once I started to understand that and I was like, well, I'm a professional athlete, like trying to make it back to like the highest level of sport. What are just like, moms who are not athletes who are just giving birth, like, how are they looking at their bodies? Are they confused? Are they in pain? And is anyone helping them? And that is what sort of inspired me to share my journey. Because I was like, if I can use my platform to share, like, yeah, you guys might see me running like 540 miles for the marathon, but like, I still pee my pants and I'm still struggling with this. I think it just brought me down to the level where they could identify it didn't matter what your speed was or what your athletic ability. We all had gone through this huge traumatic event, uh, which is a beautiful event, childbirth. But um, yeah, no one kind of helps us along the way in that recovery process. And just like normalizing that conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So again, for someone who you don't need to be running these 540-something miles to be like, wow, I just feel like I'm in such a foreign space, like not feeling even at home in your body and normalizing the conversation that it's okay to feel that way. And again, like you're not the only person that feels that way. And I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and I think it was in the UK, they were saying that maybe you get like a handful of consults with your gynecologist in like the weeks and months that follow <laughs> having a baby. Whereas like, as you said, in the US, like that's just not a thing. No. Everywhere else does. I mean, I hate saying this because I, you know, I love where we live and the opportunities we have, but everywhere else does it better when it comes to healthcare and yeah, what you are providing, the cost of just having a child in the U.S. versus other countries. I mean, it's it's really insane. Like, I felt like I was penalized for a healthy birth. Like I didn't use any drugs with Riley and we had very minimal insurance because I was um, a professional athlete and like an independent contractor. Uh, and my birth was $20,000. <laughs> and it was just, when I got that bill, I was like, 
what? I, I didn't use any drugs and I did everything natural. And that was still like the cost. Of, it just floored me. So I, I could only imagine, um, yeah, what <laughs> the toll that that could have on on people and families. I mean, hearing that, my first thought is like, that is like, could be two cars for a family, yeah. like $20,000. No. no, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Well, as you said, now you have two healthy boys mm-hmm. <laughs> and you are, as you also said, arguably in the prime of your career. So do you have any tips that you would offer when it comes to quote unquote juggling both going after these athletic pursuits and being the best mom that you can to your boys? Um, there's no secret. (laughs) I wish there was, um, you need help and you need support. And I'm very fortunate to have that, you know, athletically, I've had the support of Hoka for the last five to six years and they paid me through pregnancy. Um, you know, they never forced me to come back. They never cut my contract, which is very unusual in the professional running world. But I think they are kind of setting the tone and standard for what can be done because they saw value in the fact that, well, let's give her a chance and let's see like if she can come back. And then the, the better you come back, the more that it incentivizes them to realize, okay, like women can take a break in the middle of their careers and they're not totally done, but we do need the support, you know, and the financial means to do so. And then, um, yeah, like my team coach Ben and Jen Rosario took a chance on me realizing, could she come back from pregnancy and, and be the best, um, you know, athletically. And then having my husband, Ben, kind of do everything 50-50. I mean, we're we're both like like I said stay-at-home parents and he does all the cooking in our house, like he gets our meals, he helps coordinating getting the boys to school when I'm going to practice. He's also the official pacer of our team. Um he helps manage like the the different coaching business we have, running with the Bruces. Um he's been involved with Piggy Bars, so the true the truth of it is you can't do it alone and you have to have that support system and that's really the only way that i've been able to get to where i'm at today and have the opportunity to even have the success that i feel like i'm having how do you let go of some of maybe the expectations or the hopes that you would have knowing that you literally can't do it all <laughs> yeah i just had this conversation letting go of the expectation that moms, women should feel guilty when they ask for help because we realized there was this like dichotomy of, okay, so if you have a baby, then why do you need childcare? Shouldn't you just not work? And shouldn't you just stay home with your baby? Like, why do you want to have a baby if you want to have a job or a career? So I think it's kind of just getting rid of those like norms or the social constructs that have existed for so long and realizing you can be multifaceted. Um, You know, moms can stay at home. Dads can stay at home. uh, You know, same sex marriages. Like there's so many different ways that a family can look and um, realizing you don't have to fit into a box. Um, And I think once I let go of what I considered like mom guilt of, hey, I'm trying to pursue these big dreams and goals, but I also have my two children at home. I'm going to miss some things in their life. But hopefully when they grow up, they look back and say, wow, like my mom was really setting an example of go after your passions, pursue 
your dreams um, because they realize like that fills me with so much purpose. And I can only hope that my boys find something in their life um, that they're like truly passionate about pursuing. I think something that's been really special this week as I talk to so many different women is just this takeaway that your children or your child, like they're watching you. So what you're saying about living your life with purpose and finding something that fulfills you, it's just as important as it could be to, you know, from one person's point of view, be there all the time as it is for you to come home and walk into this house with so much satisfaction and pride and who it is that you are and what you are doing and and who you are becoming continuously as a role model for them. Something I would love to touch on with you as long as I have you is dealing with injury because I feel like it kind of goes hand in hand with that conversation we're having around the idea of compassion. I know that over, you know, the last 12, 14 months as you've been on this build up and excelling, you've also been navigating times where you had to take a step back and kind of take a chill pill. So What advice would you have to offer to someone who's approaching a similar hurdle moment in their time right now? How have you kept that conversation positive and moved forward, trusting the process when your body has hit some of those hurdles along the way? I think you need to have that zoom out lens. So zooming out, meaning every time something happens to us in our life, we think it's the worst thing ever. We think we're the only ones that are experiencing it. It's never going to end. You know, we catastrophize it, size it a bit. Um, And like a running injury specifically, you're like, I'll never get out of pain. I'll never get back to where I was. And I did that like a little bit this last December when I um, was diagnosed with plantar fasciitis. And then here I am, you know, five months later, and I just came off running a personal best in the half marathon because I think I got over like having that pity party for myself and realizing this isn't the end. This is just a roadblock. And you sort of ask yourself like, why do we face obstacles in our life and why do we have challenges? And I think they're just a test and they're teaching us like to grow. And so I always try to search and be like, what can I learn from this? Like, did I do something wrong in training? Was I, obviously injuries come from stress. Was I stressed physically from training? Was I stressed mentally? And that creeped into my body. So injuries are actually a really great, like, they give you like a self-reflection to be like, okay, what's going on in my life? Uh, where do I need to show up more or be present? Yeah. Advice for people. I would just try to like let yourself off the hook a little if an injury does happen and realize, hey, it's probably your body's way of saying I need a break from something and then figuring out going forward, how can I like make sure make sure this doesn't happen again, essentially. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsor at Picky Bars. I have been so amped to introduce the Hurdle community to Picky Bars this week, and that's because they have become my go-to for fuel. Their flavors are delicious, which is a huge bonus when shopping for the right performance fuel to nourish your body. 
And their full product lineup includes way more than just bars. Of course, they've got the original Picky Bar. They've also got Performance Granola, Performance Oatmeal, Performance Pancakes, like hello. And last but not least, their Drizzle, which is basically an almond butter topping with superfood maca that tastes so good on literally anything. You could put this stuff on literally almost anything. I started with just putting it on toast in the morning, but I have now progressed to rice cakes in the afternoon, a little drizzle on top of some Greek yogurt at night. I'm telling you, once you get this stuff, you will be hooked. Picky is offering Hurdle listeners 20% off their order of $25 or more at pickybars.com slash hurdle, which means you can save while trying all of my favorites like the Smooth Caffeinator Bar and the PB&J All Day Granola for yourself. They're also offering an additional 20% off if you try a new Picky Club membership. Head on over to pickybars.com, that's P-I-C-K-Y-B-A-R-S.com slash hurdle to get 20% off your order of all of their super yummy real food snacks and fuel. Obviously, as you're saying here, injuries teach you a big lesson from time to time. So does motherhood. When you look at the past four, five years of being a mom, if you had to reiterate maybe one or two of the biggest lessons, and I know that just reiterating one or two is like asking you to like, I I don't know, say the alphabet backwards off the top of your head. But if you had to reiterate one or two, what do you think you'd lean into? You know, I think what I have learned is our children offer us a mirror into ourselves. So sometimes like they ask questions that they're just learning about the world. And then when you have to answer, you're like, well, how would I answer that? You know, it starts with like, why is the sky blue? And then it progresses to where do babies come from? And you're like, dad, come on in for this question. Um, You know, but then they get, then they get like, they get serious in a lot of ways. You know, I think when um, there was a lot of unrest in the country over the last couple of months and we're driving by marches and they're asking mom, what does Black Lives Matter mean? And then I explain that to them and, and you have to start to explain things like racism. And then there are just all these complexities that you're like, it, it makes you like really like shine a light on yourself and say, how would I answer these questions? And they're just coming from innocent five and six year old children. Um, But in a way, like it's a privilege to be able to answer those questions because I am shaping their world. And when I look at like the bad things that happen in our country, you almost want to be like, could you dumb it back to like what people are learning in their homes. And if we could teach everyone the right things to do, would all these awful things be happening? And I'd I'd like to believe no, because I'd like to believe humanity um, can find a way to like teach the right things to our children. So then they grow up and when they're presented with those challenges, they think back, okay, this is what I learned from mom and dad. And this is how I'm going to show up, you know, as a good human being out in the world. What a beautiful perspective. I mean, what an amazing takeaway, amazing takeaway from what you've learned being a mom. When you reflect now on perhaps some of the advice that you have exchanged with moms over these past 13, 14 months, anything come to mind of something that's been super helpful in helping you get by? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think just like, it's more that like giving yourself that break because it, it does, it can feel really overwhelming, you know, 
being a parent and answering questions and thinking, am I doing enough? Am I showing up for them? Am I balancing our household? Do they have like food on the table? Do they feel loved? Are they showing other people kindness? Because you, you let them out in school and you're like, how are Riley and Hudson treating other people? Like I know how we're treating them and you just hope they're taking all the, the good that we're teaching them and they're, they're showing up in the world that way. But it's scary because you don't know that um, and you realize you can't protect them from everything. So um, sometimes it's, it is just like taking a deep breath and realizing, hey, I can't control everything. I can just put in the best effort and try to be the best version of myself each day. And that might look differently. Like some days the best version might be 20% of Stephanie. And then another day I might be like, I am nailing this day. Here's 110% Stephanie. Um, but realizing that's so fluid. And that has taught me about like mental health because the mental health component, as I've seen with family members that have struggled, you know, when they fall into the comparison trap and they think they're not achieving what they should be compared to their peers or people at their age, um, it can get really dangerous and scary. So just finding that like self-fulfillment and realizing we have a lot more control like over our happiness than we think um, and to not let like that external pressure really, really like aff affect us as much as it can. You mentioned the word comparison, and I think this obviously kind of like brings us into highlight real territory and Instagram. I mean, being someone who definitely found a platform on Instagram and was able to connect with other women and and talk about the things that you're going through, all by messy, how do you kind of pick and choose your battles, so to speak, of when it's a helpful tool and when you might need to kind of walk away from it for a little bit? To be honest, I don't ever feel like I need to walk away from it because I have a really healthy attachment to my self-worth. My self-worth has nothing to do with my times and races, my performances, my social media followers. My self-worth has to do with what do the people in my immediate circle think about me? Am I being a good wife? Am I being a good mother? Am I being a good daughter, a good best friend? You know, those people's opinions, I always say... I care about the people's opinions, whose opinion I would ask. So when you think about that, like you would never ask someone randomly on social media, how do you think I'm doing in life? Or do you <laughs> think I'm being, I think I'm a good runner? No, you would never ask that. Um, but you can look at um, a, you can look at social media as a positive way to connect people that are like-minded than you, people that want to make the effort, people that want to learn how to start their own business, people that want to be part of social change, people that want to uh, like improve their running, people that need help with like tips and parenting. So I just, I use it as a vessel for good. Um, and the only negative is if I think you let the opinions of people that don't really matter to you, like affect you on a daily basis. And I'll be honest, I just... I feel bad for those people. People that come on social media and are negative and have bad things to say, they must be in a really bad place. So it, it never, I never take it personal. I just think, hey, you know, I wish them the best and I wish they can, they can find their own happiness or purpose. What a beautiful answer. And, and in that answer, you highlighted things that you do and roles that you have from mother to runner to business owner, uh, philanthropist, like just so many things that you're doing. Out of all of the things in the multi-hyphenate that often follows your name, 
What would you say perhaps excites you the most right now? Well, I'm, depending on when this comes out, I'm about seven weeks from the Olympic track trials um, and I'm trying to make my first Olympic team, which I've been trying for 10 years. But, um, you know, that's what all eyes are focused on right now. And then um, we had some exciting news about picky bars come out recently. And then, um, I don't know, like it's hard to pinpoint one, but the way I'm looking at it is I know that I will look back in like five to six years and be like, this was the most awesome time in my life. Like I'm healthy. I'm pursuing my dreams and goals. I have my husband, Ben, alongside me. I have two beautiful, healthy boys. You know, I have friends, a a team, uh, a family, like people that are really rooting for me and supporting. And I just feel like I'm going to look back and be like, this was the best time in my life. So I'm trying to have that perspective like right now. You said 10 years. When you're going at something for that long and you hit those hurdles along the way as you have, what is the inner dialogue? What's the, do you have a mantra that you go back to? Like what keeps you going after more? It's, um, it's just like, I say this like in every podcast, but it's like a stubborn belief in myself. Um, and I, I use like the tagline, you got to bet on yourself because if you don't, who will? And I think that is what's, it's what's gotten me through many like hard times in my life where, you know, in high school, uh, when my father passed away, I was on a run and I was supposed to go see him. Um, he was really sick with terminal cancer and I was about to like go visit him. I went for a run, but then I came back and he had actually died while I was on that run. And so like running kind of then like changed the trajectory of my life. And I realized running was something that I get to do and not that I have to do. Um, and I, I took that mindset back to my senior year of track and I made some huge breakthroughs because I just started believing in myself more. Um, and so like my father passing away was a blessing in many ways, um, because I chose to like find the good in my life and and take a path that maybe was a little more challenging, but so rewarding. And then I've just had so many like things along the way that have reaffirmed that. Um, I was almost forced to leave college because uh, after he passed away, our money um, essentially ran out because his business went bankrupt. Um, And then an anonymous donor read about my story and um, decided to fund the rest of my college career um, in this amazing, um, I don't know, angel act. I don't even know what you call it, but I, I was just so fortunate that my life has always been kind of like, why me? Like, why am I so blessed with all these opportunities? And so it's just forced me to be on this mission of how can I give back and how can I make my life worth it and kind of pay it forward. Um, and I think that's what keeps me going when either obstacles hit or if I haven't reached a goal yet, I'm like, well, there's still something left in me and I'm sure I can eke out you know, another few years trying to pursue it. So interesting to hear you share that perspective in the why me from like the positive spin. Like I am so fortunate despite in that same breath sharing so much loss and dealing with all of these hurdles. And we recently talked about, you know, your recent injury and whatnot. And it's such a beautiful thing because it's a growth mindset, right? So for someone who struggles to find the growth mindset, like you have clearly adopted in your life, do you have any takeaway, any piece of advice that you might offer them? 
how to find that growth mindset. Yeah. I mean, find people <laughs> that have the same mindset and like attach yourselves to them. I mean, uh, when I, I, like I said, I met Lauren Fleshman and Jesse Thomas over 10 years ago. And like, we immediately just like shared that, you know, they were both pursuing their athletic careers, Lauren in track and Jesse in triathlon. And we just talked about like what living an awesome life, like really meant to us and pursuing these crazy goals and dreams, you know, and then recently I uh, met a woman named Tiana Bartoletta. Uh, last year via the internet, but we happened to be in the same sport for the last couple of years and never met. And it was just like, we were like instant friends because we both pulled out a notebook and we were like, oh, you keep your goals and dreams in this notebook? Like me too. Um, so I think just like putting putting out like your visions and your passion will attract the right people. And the older you get, I think the more confident that you're like, well, I can walk away from the people that are not getting it and don't get me and walk towards the people that are instead of like trying to convince people that maybe aren't the best in your life, uh, like why you're important or why, you know, your voice matters and just gravitating towards the people that do. So I, I definitely think just find your people essentially. Um, and you may have to look a long time for them. Um, but once you find them, uh, the opportunities are endless of what, of what could happen out of those friendships. What's that saying? It's like, you're the sum of like the five people closest to you. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So for you, I mean, you just mentioned the importance of finding people that have similar values to you. Uh, if I asked you right now to like throw in two, three, four values. Hit me with some of them. Showing up for people. Uh, not just when they're doing well, but when they're not doing well. And I think like anticipating before they're not doing well. Um, that's been really important to me because I think people remember like when you showed up for them. Um, and another value is time because you can't put a price tag on time. And I've learned that, you know, most recently with my mom is um, sort of near near the end. She has uh, terminal uh, metastatic breast cancer. And you, you just start to look at things like things that you will miss or things that you won't have in your future. And so right now time is all I can give her and all, um, you know, I can ask from her. And um, I think the last one would be... Uh, it's kind of a combination of being humble and humility, because no matter what you do, what you achieve in life, if you forget like where you came from and you forget all the things that helped you get to that place, um, I think it it really that success or like that end goal isn't worth it if, if it ever becomes, if it ever like changes who you are. So, you know, no matter like what successes I'll have in running or winning races or making teams, you know, I realize someone can always be better than me or I could always learn to do something better. Um, and I think that keeps me grounded and humble and, um, yeah, having humility because life is such that, in an instant, something could change and it flips. So you're on top and then you can be on bottom the next day. Um, and I think if you are um, humble about it, it, it allows you to really like just enjoy what you're doing um, and not get too caught up in kind of the end goal. Showing up, time, mm -hmm. staying humble. Earlier, you mentioned 
your boys being like a mirror to you. So now that I've asked you about your values and you think maybe about the last year or two with your boys, has there been a moment where you've just been so proud that they have exhibited one of these values? I mean, they, they recently started playing, um, they recently started playing baseball and, um, without us even like pushing them into it, they've really gravitated towards what like teamwork and cheering for other people means. Um, and we, we actually took them to a Diamondbacks game and it was like the first time things were opening. And, uh, my oldest son Riley was lucky enough to get a game ball from, um, the left fielder, which was amazing. And the game was against the Colorado Rockies and, in the, the bleachers in front of us, there was a family who was clearly Rockies fans and a young boy who was probably seven. When the Diamondbacks like pulled into the lead, that boy started bawling. And you can tell like he was just like his team was losing and he was so sad. And Riley looked at like this extra ball that he had gotten from the warm-up. They also gave him a ball from like the bullpen. And he walked over walked down to that family and he handed the kid <laughs> from the Rocky team and he said, here's this ball. And I just was like, that's it. I mean, he gets it. Like he just, he saw defeat for someone else. And he was like, how can I fill this like kids day with purpose or how can I make a difference? And I mean, that was it for me. <laughs> oh, what a great story. What a great story. And what a proud moment for you. I'm so sure. <laughs> well, as we wind down here, I always like to take a moment to, to reflect on one of the biggest lessons maybe you've learned upon your journey. Right now, you have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice. You talked about that difficult time, finding out you were pregnant for the second time at first, not really sure what to do with that news and having a little trouble struggling to kind of find your place in how to move forward. Right now, you have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice at that time. What do you tell yourself? Man, <laughs> I like give my mom like crap for this because she always says this quote and I'm like, mom, this doesn't make sense. Like she says, everything happens for a reason. And so I'm like, no, sometimes things don't happen for a reason. But the more I like look at that quote, I like it in ways because, yes, everything happens for a reason, but then you do have the ability to make choices and you do get to choose paths along the way. And you can see things happen to you and say, wow, that's really negative. Why me? Why does this always happen? Or you can say, you know what? Someone must think I'm strong enough to handle it. Like, how can I move forward with this adversity that I'm dealing with? Um, so I think I learned that at a really young age. Like when, like I said, when my father passed away, I was 18 and I was all alone. I was in New York away from all my family, all my friends, my brothers. I didn't make it to see my dad and my stepmom. And I said, well, this has got to be no moment could ever be worse in my life than being like alone, finding out my dad died. And so instead of saying like, why me? I said, well, thanks dad or whoever made this happen. Now I will never feel like I can't handle anything because I was strong enough in that moment to like move forward. Um, so I kind of go back to that event many times when things get hard and I just say like, you have already been been here. You've already been presented with obstacles. Um, just figure out how you want to react, you know, to this moment right now. 
Well, my heart and my prayers are with you and your family as you're going through everything with your mom. And I'm also cheering for you and your build up to the trials. And I'm so grateful for your time and so much amazing, uh, so much amazingness in this episode. How do the the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Give me all the details. Sure. So I have a website, uh, stephbruce.com. And then you can find me on social media. It's actually all my maiden names. Um, so Twitter and Instagram is Steph Rothstein. Um, but usually if you Steph, if you search Steph Bruce, it would come up. And then, yeah, you can follow my team, NAZ Elite, um, for all like race stuff and going into the summer and the trials. And then, of course, um, pickybars.com for any of your uh, nutrition goodies. Of course, I have to ask you, do you have a favorite picky bar? I do. Yes. Okay. What uh, is it? The flavor is cinnamon rolling. And that's what I eat pretty much before all workouts and all races. I had that one yesterday. I liked it. I'm a smooth caffeinator. Ooh, yeah. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.